Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. Jesus said, Come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. To be weary, sapped of strength and energy, to be in a situation where Your thoughts are scrambled and you can't see clearly, you can't think clearly, you can't feel clearly. Weary, worn out, heavy laden, burdened, bearing a load of a life that is imperfect, a life that is subject to all of the Issues and problems and cares of a world that's gone mad in self-destruction. You ever get to that place in your life where you are weary? You ever get to that place in your life where you are so burdened you just can't think about taking another step, living another day? Jesus said, come to me. I'll give you rest. I'll take those burdens and lift them. I'll give you strength, emotional strength, mental strength, spiritual strength, physical strength. Come to me. You see, our problem is we focus so much on the world and what's going on in our world we stop considering Jesus and who He is and why He came. We're going to talk about that this morning as you turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Philippians chapter 3. We've turned the page to the third chapter. We started the book of Philippians back in January, January the 3rd of 2001. So we have have taken our time. And that's okay. I hope the time has been beneficial for you. Philippians chapter 3. Stand with me in honor of God's Word. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same thing to you, the same things to you, is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh, though I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, 
that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of God. And we pray his blessing upon the reading of the word. You may be seated. Now we're simply going to focus our attention on the first verse of this third chapter in which the Apostle Paul says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Now, the finally does not mean that he is concluding the letter. He is using this word as a transition from what he has been speaking about to what he desires to speak in applying what he has spoken about. Before he gets into these last two chapters of the book, he's going to be talking about some pretty tough stuff. He's going to be talking about, well, he he mentions here uh, in uh, the second verse, he talks about dogs. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation, so on and so forth. What does that have to say? Well, you'll have to tune in next Sunday for, for that. But in the first two chapters, if you can go back and kind of take a bird's eye view, Paul has been talking about the things that he has suffered as a person, as an apostle, as a witness of Jesus Christ. Um, And you know his story if you read from the book of Acts chapter 9 on, and you read the letters that he had, had written, Uh, that are contained in your New Testament, Paul's life was not an easy life. He faced opposition. He faced persecution. He was imprisoned numerous times. He was beaten with whips numerous times. On one occasion, they ran him out of town and they tried to kill him by stoning him, but uh, they didn't finish the job. After a while, he revived, got up, and walked on to the next town. When he would go to some of the churches that he had established on the first and second missionary journey, he would go back and visit these churches. And oftentimes those churches would run him out of town. They would not believe him anymore. They would question his credentials and his credibility. And so Paul didn't have an easy life. And for those of us who feel like Christianity ought to be a bed of roses, watch out for the thorns. Nowhere in Scripture, and I challenge you to find anywhere in Scripture, Old Testament or New Testament, where the life of the saint, the one who is a devoted follower of the Lord God and His Son Jesus Christ, has an easy life. Jesus talked about the prophets of the Old Testament as He sat 
on the Mount of Olives and overlooked the city of Jerusalem. And he lamented, he cried, Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets. These were the spokesmen of God, Moses and uh, Isaiah and Jeremiah and uh, the, the minor prophets, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, and all of the other individuals who spoke the word of God to the children of Israel were martyred by the children of Israel. They didn't want to hear about God. They wanted to live their own lives. They wanted to be what they wanted to be. They wanted to do what they wanted to do. And they saw the prophets of God as being a nuisance, an obstacle. So they persecuted them and they killed them. They did the same with Jesus. They did the same with the apostles. They didn't have an easy life. They spoke the word of God. They brought the kingdom of Christ to the Roman Empire. And how were they appreciated? <laughs> Paul had his head cut off. Peter was crucified upside down. Others died by the sword. They tried to kill John the Apostle on a number of occasions, but he survived every attempt on his life, and he lived until he could receive the revelation from Jesus Christ and wrote it down as the last book of our New Testament. And then he died in old age, the only apostle of Jesus Christ to die of natural causes. And he was around 93, 94, 95 when he died. Let us never come away with the attitude that now that I am a Christian, it's going to be easy street. It's going to be smooth sailing. Everything's going to come my way. If that's what you believe, then you need to go back and read the Bible. You need to go back and again, take into account all of those individuals, starting from Abraham, well, even before Abraham, but starting with the Hebrew people in Abraham and going all the way through to the end of Scripture. So the Apostle Paul has been talking about some of the things that he had suffered, but he wanted us to understand, as he wanted the Philippian church to understand, that even in all of the trials and the temptations and all of the oppression and the persecution that he faced, he rejoiced in the Lord. His joy in Christ Jesus was sustained. It never diminished. It was never taken away. It could not be robbed from him. In chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, he rejoiced in remembering and praying for the Philippian church and for their fellowship in Jesus Christ. In chapter 1, verse 18, he rejoiced that the gospel of Jesus Christ was being preached by those who loved him as well as by those who despised him. In chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, he rejoiced in the Philippians having the same attitudes and convictions regarding the gospel that he had. He not only brought them to faith in Jesus Christ and discipled them in Jesus Christ, but even after he left to go and start churches in other places, after all of this time, word had gotten to him in Rome while he was sitting in a prison that the Philippians were hanging on, they were holding on to their faith in Christ, and the Apostle Paul rejoiced in that. They were not like the churches in Galatian, 
in Galatia, the province of Galatia, that after a time they renounced Jesus Christ, they turned away from Jesus Christ, and they started believing in uh, old wives' tales and fairy tales and legends and so on and so forth, that the Apostle Paul would write to them and say, I am amazed that so quickly you have been bewitched by a false gospel. But the Philippian church, no, I rejoice that after all of this time, you still maintain the attitudes and the convictions of the Christian faith. In chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, he rejoiced that his life and ministry was an acceptable sacrifice to the Lord. Can you say that? Can you say that? Is your life an acceptable sacrifice to the Lord? Paul rejoiced. That his was. And he wasn't bragging. This was not false humility. He realized, he understood that Jesus Christ had called him to suffer in the gospel of the kingdom. And he willingly laid down his life to suffer so that the gospel of Jesus Christ could be spread to the known world. And he rejoiced that God had called him in Christ Jesus to offer his life as a sacrifice for that kingdom. Now, these are all worthy causes for Christians to rejoice, and we can say amen to them in our own life and in our church. But Paul, in chapter 3, transitions. And he's going to talk about some other hardships that the Philippians are going to face. See, he talked about in chapters 1 and 2 the things that he was facing. But now he's going to talk about the things that the Philippian church needs to be aware of that they are going to face. And before he begins to outline the dogs that they need to be aware of, and for the uh, evil workers that they need to be aware of, and for the mutilization uh, that they need to be aware of, he wants to draw their attention back to the very fundamental principle of who we are, what we are, why we do what we do, and why we should rejoice. And so he says... Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. And I'd submit to you this morning, my friends, that Jesus Christ is the source of our joy. Jesus Christ is the source of our joy. We can rejoice in persecution because we believe in and bear witness of the gospel. And there are some religious groups that do that. You slam the door in their face when they come knocking on your door. Or you curse at them or you, 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 know, you spit at them and so on and so forth. And they rejoice. Hey, that's persecution and I rejoice that I am persecuting for my religion. No, no. That's not what Paul's talking about. But we can rejoice in persecution knowing that uh, we're out there sharing the gospel and people are still as adamant uh, opposed to the gospel today as they were in the days of Paul. But that's not our cause for rejoicing. 
We can rejoice in the many spiritual and practical dynamics of the church. And I know that people do come to church because of the things that they can get involved in, the activities, those kinds of things. And a church really needs to be active, amen? Yes. A church that's not active is a dead church. I don't know of anybody that really wants to be a part of a dead church unless they're a dead Christian. And we're talking spiritually here. But even the dynamics of an active church uh, that we can get involved with, that, you know, that can bring us uh, a sense of joy, but it's not the source of our joy. Understand what I'm talking about here. We can rejoice because the church is active. It's doing things. It's ministering. It's evangelizing. It's, it's involved in mission work. It's preaching. It's teaching. It's worshiping. And all of these other men's groups and women's groups and children's groups and, and senior adult groups and so on and so forth. But that's, you know, those things are exciting to be a part of, but that's not the source of our joy. It's not the source of our joy. We can rejoice in personal spiritual growth, and we should. Beloved, I, I, would, I would challenge you to think back over your life, look back over your life as a Christian, if you are a Christian. And I would simply state, my friends, if you are not advancing in your personal spiritual growth in Christ Jesus, if you are not in closer fellowship with Jesus Christ today uh, as you were a year ago, then you're missing out. You're missing out on the increase of joy that you could have if you would only stay in constant fellowship, daily fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not to say that if you're not more spiritual today than you were last year that you've lost your salvation and you're going to go to hell. No. But it is to say that you've lost out on the abundance of joy that Jesus Christ offers to you and to me. Why? It's not because we've memorized so many passages of Scripture. It's not because we've attended so many classes in Bible study. It's not because we have perfect attendance in worship service. It's not because we've given so much money to missions and so on and so forth. It's because we've drawn closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because He is the source of our joy. Yes. He is the source of our joy. We can rejoice in knowing that we're going to heaven when we die. Come on. Amen. Praise Amen. God. Are you rejoicing this morning that should this be your last day on the earth, that the next day will be spent in glory with Jesus Christ and with all of the saints who've gone on before you? Are you looking forward to that? Anybody not looking forward to that? If you're not looking forward to that, see me after church. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. I'm happy about the assurance that I have in Jesus Christ that my last breath, my last consciousness, conscious thought here on this earth will transition into an awareness and consciousness of being in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ. And while I long for that and while I look for that, 
I understand that's not, not, that's not the source of my joy. That's not the source of my joy. The Apostle states that our true joy is Jesus Christ. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write, same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Now, why is that necessary? Why would the Apostle Paul say that here, smack dab in the middle of this letter to the Philippian church? He's talked about all of the things that he's been through. He's going to talk about the things that the Philippian church is going to face and all other Christians are going to face. And this, this therefore, is a transition between those two. Why is it necessary that the first thing that he would write to them in this transition is that they should rejoice in the Lord? Why is it necessary? It's necessary for this reason. Because we as individuals have the tendency to get off track. Don't we? Yep. Don't we? Hmm? And when you get off track, let's just draw an illustration from life. When a train gets off track, what? It wrecks. And it's a very appropriate illustration, my friends. When a train gets off the track, it wrecks. When a Christian gets off track, our joy is not in circumstances. Our joy is not in things coming my way getting my way, anything and everything I want, I get. It's not being high rung on the ladder of success. It's not being popular and my name is on everyone's lips. It's not having my name on the marquee. My joy is in Christ Jesus, knowing Him, experiencing Him, walking daily in fellowship with Him. He is our salvation. And because He is our salvation, He is our joy. He is our safeguard. Because that's what the word means here in verse 1 of chapter 3. He is our safeguard against the emotional trials and temptations and distresses from living in a world that's ruled by Satan and dominated by sin and a sinful worldview. In other words, it keeps us from becoming derailed in our Christian life. When we keep our focus on Jesus Christ, that joy of the Lord fills us to overflowing. And that is enough, I submit to you, that is enough for us to be able to stay on track as a Christian, living the Christian life, bringing honor and glory to the name of Jesus Christ in a world that's going to hell and doesn't even realize it. I know churches that rejoice that they are cosmopolitan. 
Churches that rejoice that they are cosmopolitan. They include anybody and everybody into their fellowship. Which doesn't make them more spiritual. It just makes them more worldly. That was the Corinthian church. And Paul had to write two letters. Really, he wrote four letters. We only have two. He wrote four letters to straighten them out. It's not... You don't have bragging rights by being a cosmopolitan church. You have bragging rights if you are a Christian church. I welcome people from all races. I welcome people from all cultures and backgrounds and belief systems into the preaching and the teaching and the worship of the church so that they could hear about Jesus. But in that preaching and teaching and worship of the church, they need to be brought to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior. And that's not being done in churches that pride themselves in being cosmopolitan. The gospel of Jesus Christ is lost in those churches. Those churches don't talk about sin anymore. Those churches don't talk about Jesus Christ much anymore. Those churches don't talk about the wrath of God upon sin. They don't talk about hell. They don't talk about judgment anymore. And you say, well, those are all negative things. We should be talking about positive things. Beloved in Scripture, if you don't talk about and understand the negative things, you'll never realize the positive things. You cannot be saved unless you understand sin. And you cannot understand the blessedness of salvation until you understand the judgment of God against sin. You're not saved because you're made to feel good by a, a lesson or a sermon that strokes the ego. You're saved because your attention is pointed to the only one who can save you, and that's Jesus Christ, and the means through which he can save you, and that is by his death on the cross of Calvary, and the purpose for which he went to the cross, and that is to die as a sacrifice for your sin. And that's not being taught. It's not being preached in churches that are cosmopolitan. I know churches that rejoice in having exciting worship services. Contemporary music, bands, worship teams, choirs, and so on and so forth. I also know churches that rejoice in having solemn and moving worship Services, traditional church music, piano, organ, choir, so on and so forth. And I'm all for worship that is spiritually exciting and solemn and moving. But are we truly worshiping Jesus or are we worshiping the music program? Are we worshiping our idea of what worship should really be? Is the message about me and my life journey all that we're singing about in our worship? Or is it about the gospel of Jesus Christ and its power to save me and to confirm me in Christ Jesus and to conform me to Christ Jesus? I know churches that rejoice in moral strictness. 
Maybe some of you have been to some of those churches as well. Women can't wear pantsuits. They've got to wear dresses. Moral strictness. Can't wear makeup. That includes the guys too. <laughs> Suit and tie. All of those kinds of things. They rejoice in their moral strictness. They rejoice in their political correctness. They rejoice in their economic and material generosity. They rejoice in the fact that they have a, a ministry of compassion toward the poor, the, the, the homeless, the down and outers. But the question I have is, where is Jesus in all of this? I'm not saying these things are not good. I'm just saying, where is Jesus in all of these things? If he's at the heart of it all, I praise God for it. But if these things exist in the church in and of themselves, then there is real cause for concern. People may know the facts of the gospel, but they need to know the Christ of the gospel. And if we're not giving them Jesus Christ as we're handing them a plate of food, then there is something missing in our compassionate ministry to the down and outer. People may be sincerely religious, but they need to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ because religion doesn't cut it. Religion doesn't get you to the gates of glory. It is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that accomplishes that. People may engage in all kinds of church activities, preaching, teaching, witnessing, ministering, so on and so forth. But Jesus warned the disciples in Matthew chapter 7, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, have, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? That is to preach. Haven't we preached in your name? Haven't we cast out demons in your name? That's ministry of healing, spiritual healing, and done that in your name, and did many wonders in your name. We've done all kinds of things that have been helpful and beneficial to people. But Jesus said, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. He's not saying that these things are not good. He's simply saying that these things you didn't do in my name. You didn't do these things because you loved me. You didn't do these things because you extended the, 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 the gospel uh, that I've come to proclaim to those individuals that you were ministering to. It was all about you. It wasn't about Jesus. And for that sake, Jesus said it's unacceptable. It's unacceptable. So in this verse, the Apostle Paul brought the attention of the Philippian Christians back back to the primary source of their joy and that is Jesus Christ himself. Jesus Christ himself. He asked a question to his disciples on one occasion. What does it profit a person if they gain the whole world but they lose their own soul? And that's what people are after nowadays. You may not agree with me, and that's okay. But what Jesus was really saying is, what does it profit you if you live for yourself? To be the best that you can be, to have all that you can have, 
to go wherever you want to go, to climb the ladder of success, to have all the power that you can have to manipulate people and your life and your situations, to be the greatest among men. But then you lose it all because you don't know Jesus. You don't have a personal... You aren't living for Him. You aren't focused on Him. Can Christians get off track? Absolutely they can get off track. I know individuals who claim to be Christians who say they have had a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ when they were at this age or that age, but they're living for the world. They've turned away from the church. They've turned away from the Word of God. They don't pray anymore. They don't go to church anymore. They don't talk to people about Jesus anymore. And they don't live for Jesus anymore. Because living for Jesus didn't pad their bank account. Living for Jesus didn't open doors to greater success in the business world or in academia or any other endeavor that they may engage in. Living for Jesus didn't make them popular with their buds anymore. What does it profit an individual if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? He says, finally, it's not to be thought of, as I stated a while ago, not a conclusion to the letter, but a transition in his argument. It should be translated, therefore, so now. So really what he's saying is, now then, based upon all that I've said, fellow Christians, rejoice in the Lord. Why? Because I'm going to tell you some stuff that you're going to have to continue to deal with as you continue on in a church. I want you also to note that he's talking to Christians. He says, finally, my brethren. Now he's not sexist here. He's not leaving the women out. They're included in the brethren. Well, now he's talking to men. Well, he's talking to women also. My brethren, those who are with me in the faith, those who are followers of Jesus Christ with me. So he's speaking to Christians. And what he has to say, he has to say to Christians because Christians are the only ones on this planet that can truly rejoice. Oh, there are people who, you can be happy, but again, happiness is circumstantial. It comes and it goes, like the tide. Things are going up and up, and you're happy about that. Things start going down, you're not so happy about that. But a Christian who's focused on the Lord, doesn't matter what his situation may be, the joy in Christ Jesus remains. It is sustained by Jesus Christ in that person's life. So this letter is written to Christians in the church at Philippi so that they can maintain that joy in the Lord by maintaining that relationship with Jesus Christ in spite of the things that they are facing, in spite of the things that they are going to face. And he's drawing their attention away. He's drawing his attention away from his situation in the prison at Rome. He's drawing their attention away from the possibility of his execution as a preacher of the gospel. He's drawing their attention away from the desire to be together again at church. He's drawing their attention away from the sickness that Epaphroditus suffered, that they were very concerned about, that he was going to die because of the sickness. He's drawing their attention away from the hardships and the conflicts and the issues that they have faced and that they will face as Christians in a godless and sinful world. And he's drawing their attention back 
to Jesus Christ. Back to Jesus Christ. Because he knew, as you and I know, it's easy to get off track. It's easy to lose our Christian perspective. It's easy to turn away from our focus on the Lord and turn our focus back on to the things of the world. Now, we do have a tendency to forget this. We do. Just case in point, with the outbreak and the spread of COVID, how many of us focused on the disease and where it came from, who was responsible for its spread, who did or didn't take steps to protect us from it, who gave us false information and why? How many of us spent vast amounts of time reading about it, listening to the pundits talk about it, and time we spent ourselves talking to family and friends, complaining about how it has hindered us and curtailed our freedoms to live as we pleased. How many of us became critical over the vaccines that would be, that, uh, would be provided uh, for our vaccinations? And who wouldn't take the vaccines and why? Who was dying from the virus? Who was in the hospital because of it and why? How many of us were engaged in those kinds of processes in the two and two years and some months that it was really a pandemic? COVID was a real crisis. And I'm not, I'm not minimalizing that. It was a real crisis, a dangerous virus that needed to be addressed. But where was Jesus in all of this? In your thinking and in your feeling and in your conversations, and how you spent your time. Where was Jesus in all of this? Was your faith in Jesus firm or shaky? Was your faith in Jesus resolute? Or were you beginning to really question, Jesus, why is all of this happening? What's up, Jesus? Aren't you, don't you care about us anymore? What's going on? Did we rely on him and his counsel? Did we speak to him as much as we spoke to others about what we were going through? Did we speak of him to others to be an encouragement to them while they were going through it? We have a tendency to lose focus because of the crisis at hand. All that Paul suffered for the cause of Christ was real to him and was real to the church. All that the churches suffered was real to them and was real to Paul. But in the midst of all of the suffering and rejoicing, in the midst of all of the advancements and setbacks, in all of the longings and the desires that they had in their heart and mind, Jesus Christ was the anchor that held them fast in their faith. Held them fast. They were not happy about what they were going through, but their joy in the Lord did not suffer from what they were going through. Jesus was the source of their joy, and Paul wanted to remind them of that. Now, finally, and this is my conclusion. This is not a Pauline finally. This is my finally. 
The apostle wrote, look at it again. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. In other words, the apostle didn't think it was a negative thing to remind these Philippian Christians of this very basic fundamental spiritual truth. He repeated it again and again and again. And he used various illustrations to demonstrate that joy that he had and the joy that they should be having as well. He says, but for you it is safe. And I said the, the Greek word here really should be safeguard. It is something that will guard you safely. It's something that's not designed to trip you up or cause you to stumble. It is something that will hold you secure. It will hold you secure. Genuine joy in the Lord safeguards Christians from the emotional distress of living in a world ruled by Satan and motivated by sin. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 10, verses 8 through 13. The Apostle wrote, The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that is, the word of faith which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew or Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You cannot be saved apart from Jesus Christ. That's a very basic fundamental truth of the New Testament. You cannot be saved apart from Jesus Christ. The church cannot save you. It doesn't matter what church you may go to. Baptist, Catholic, Pentecostal, Mormon. doesn't matter. The church can't save you. Your religion can't save you. And it doesn't matter what religion you're a part of. Your religion cannot save you. Good works can't save you. Being black or white or brown can't save you. Being an American cannot save you. Being a Republican cannot save you. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. So all of these things that religions and churches put up as fronts for salvation are lies from hell. They're lies of Satan. Scripture is clear that God loved you so much that He sent His only begotten Son that if you will only believe in Him, you will not perish, but you will have everlasting life. That's the truth of God's Word. The only thing that can safeguard your life, the only one who can hold you secure from Satan, from sin, from eternal damnation in hell, is Jesus Christ. And that gives you spiritual joy. Yes. That gives you spiritual joy that's unspeakable yes. and full of glory. One final passage of Scripture, Hebrews chapter 7. Verses 22 through 25. Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. That word surety means what? A guarantee. 
We like guarantees, don't we? We like to be guaranteed of certain things. That's something you can bank on. It's something that you can rest with confidence on. It's something that keeps you motivated to press on if you have certain guarantees. And the apostle wrote in Hebrews chapter 7 that Jesus is our guarantee of a better covenant. A covenant that is not a covenant of works. It's not a covenant of religious ceremony and ritual. It is a covenant of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Also, he goes on to say, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, speaking of Christ, he, because of his because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save you to the uttermost. He is able to save you to the uttermost. Those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. That word uttermost means completely. To the full extent. As far as it goes, he is able to save you. Because he continues to live in glory as our intercessor before the throne of God. And because of that intercession, we are guaranteed that the salvation He has blessed us with will remain until the day we see Him face to face. Amen? Amen. Stand with me. David's going to come and lead us as we sing. Just before we sing, I plead with anyone here who does not know for certain they have eternal life in a relationship with Jesus Christ, don't leave today without knowing The Bible says you can know for certain you have eternal life. Mm. I will be here after we sing, after the prayer, if you have questions or want to know. In His time Now, Father, as we leave the house and we go out into the world, you will remind us, Lord, of these things again and again and again. There is so much out in our world that causes depression and despair. So many things out there that frustrate us, anger us, cause us to want to quit. But Father, remind us that these are only temporary, that in time these will pass, but our joy in Jesus Christ will remain forever. May we go with confidence, knowing that you go with us through your Holy Spirit. May we go boldly, realizing that even though the enemy is strong, Jesus has made us victorious over the enemy. We are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. Remind us, Lord God, that there are no obstacles that we cannot overcome, for we can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens us. 
but may we go in love, realizing that there are people who are unloved. But you sent Jesus Christ to us because you love us. May we love others to the extent we will share Jesus Christ with them, that they might come to know your love in Christ Jesus, whom to know is life everlasting. These things I ask in your holy and precious name, and all of God's people said, Amen. God bless you and have a great day in the Lord. The Bible says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.